Seekers come in many forms. They are artists, activists, and spiritual explorers looking to dive a little deeper into the pulse of living. In these conversations, we journey through the portals of their winding paths of expression to finding deeper meaning and connection to nature, spirit, and our interconnected existence. Welcome to the Zen Nomad Podcast with your host, Sonia Denelson. Today's guest, I'm very honored to have my Taoist martial arts teacher, Lindsay Wei. Lindsay is truly inspiring in the path that she has led with her studies of Taoism and martial arts. As a young woman, she left for China to go to university and study martial arts, and she moved on to do some pretty intense training at the Shaolin Temple and eventually found her way to the Wudong Mountains. And from there, she met her life teacher, Li Shifu. We talk about her path, her dedication, and what it takes to be on that path, the honoring of cultivating human character and life destiny amidst still taking care of everything in daily life and how important it is for daily meditation in order to maintain daily life, to restore the body, maintain a fullness of chi, and to connect with higher dimensions. Uh, Lindsay discusses the relationship between her two passions, the earth primitive skills and the Taoist martial arts, Taoism, and how They connect you to the earth and the cosmos and how important it is to have self-reliance, especially in times like these, knowing that you can be self-sufficient in any situation. Uh, We discuss how to stay balanced and grounded as society moves further into the virtual space. And she's also just released a new book that she wrote, which is a biography of Pedro Solana, who is a Muay Thai master. Um, She went there in January and studied with him and had some pretty profound experiences and wrote this biography of him, which is out this week. So um, that will be really exciting. I'm excited to read it. She also has a book that she has written about her own journey to China, which is really beautiful. Um, We get into a little bit about what it's like for her to move from doing her in-person month-long training camps in the mountains of California to transforming her teachings online. So please enjoy this interview with this very inspiring woman. I am... Super excited today to be speaking with my Taoist teacher, Lindsay Wei. Um, her Taoist name is Wei Cheng Ling, and she's a 24th generation Chengyang sect of the Wudang Taoism, which is the Pure Yang sect, and a 31st generation Longmeng Dragon Gate sect of the Complete Reality School. Um, welcome, Lindsay. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here talking to you today. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, so I'm just 
want to ask you probably the questions you get asked all the time to give the listeners a little bit of background um, on you and your pretty epic journey <laughs> to this point. Um, uh, you, when you were fairly young, you left for China at, to go to a university. Um, was it to study martial arts or did you find martial arts there? Yeah, so it, it was uh, to study martial arts because I, well, what happened was I had heard of the Shaolin Temple from a traveler who I met. Uh, I, I kind of like went around traveling across the States after high school, trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And I had met just a, another traveler who told me about the Shaolin Temple <laughs> and that you could go there and learn martial arts from the monks. And something about that planted a really deep and potent seed that stuck with me. And then I started kind of looking around online for whatever that was. And I found some different schools. And I think I decided to go to Beijing to this, you know, Capital Sports University to do a program there because I felt like I wasn't ready to go into the mountains of China yet since I, I wasn't fluent in Chinese at the time. So I chose this program that was happening in Beijing where you could learn modern wushu and the Chinese language at the same time as a foreigner. Cool. And so from there, you um, eventually left and journeyed into the mountains? That's right. Yeah. So once I kind of acclimated to China and got a foundation in the language and in the martial arts of China, then I just kept following different word of mouth um, things where I, I ended up going to Shaolin and studying there for a couple months. And that was a really, really great experience. And then while I was in Shaolin from another, you know, traveler in China from a different country, a lot of people who I met were from different countries in Europe, but um, I heard about a school in Wudong Mountain and then I traveled there to check that out. And that's when I really uh, just had this sense of coming home, a feeling like when I got to the mountain, it was just a feeling that I had been there before and that this was my place. But I understand you were still felt like you were seeking a deeper level of teaching. And that's kind of what led you to your teacher, um, Li Shifu. Yeah, that's right. So after by the time I got to Wudong, I had already been in China for, I think it was two years. And then I landed in Wudong and was like, this is, this is where I need to be. And I spent a whole nother year there learning the forms of Wudong, which I loved. But there was something definitively missing and I didn't know what it was. And I felt really confused. And I was about ready to kind of be done with my journey in China at that point. But 
right at that moment is when I, by chance, met Leisure Fu. And, and then that's how that journey began. It was already three years into my endeavors learning martial arts in China, and then I met Leisure Fu. And that's where everything started to make sense at that point. And, and then that was the moment where I knew, okay, this is, this is my life teacher for, for life. So then I just continued um, from there. I continued my training in the Wudong arts of the Chunyang sect, which I found to be very unique from anything that I had learned up until that point. So how did, how did you convince you basically living as a recluse in this temple by himself for a really long time and you show up, you're all from America, mm-hmm. how did you convince him, convince him that you wanted to be here and to um, have him teach you and, mm-hmm. and let someone else be in the temple with him? Yeah. So at the time when I met him, he, of course, had met other foreigners before, but things were still pretty, um, you know, he was still in a pretty remote setting. He hadn't really met that many foreigners before, if, if, if you can imagine that. It seems hard to imagine now, um, but things were really different you know, 15 years ago uh, in China and in Wudong Mountain specifically. But so, you know, and then just to clarify, Li Shifu still to this day doesn't speak English. So it's all, everything that's happening in this context with him is in Chinese. And so um, my friend who I had met at the school in Wudong, he was a uh, British guy, um, he was actually the one who met Li Shifu in a taxi one day. And he went to go learn from Li Shifu first. And then one day he shows up um, at the school where we had met and he's like, hey, do you want to come meet this master? And so that, that's how it happened. So at the time it was just, you know, my friend Shripung and there was another Taoist, um, well, Chinese disciple, and a, a young child disciple. He was like eight years old, I think. Oh, wow. long. Yeah, Chinese. And uh, so it was just the three of them and Jungu, the cook, um, older Taoist woman who was actually a student of Li Shifu Shifu, um, Tao Shifu. So it was just a small group of people on the mountain. And yes, I showed up. And, and yes, in a way... It, did take some convincing um, because like you might have heard me talk about before, Li Shifu did pretty much ignore me uh, for a while. He was not impressed. Uh, He was busy. He was doing his own thing. And, And it took, I think, just my own genuine perseverance of showing that I was serious to sort of, you know, just make it worth his time, really. Uh, that, that period did, did happen where, you know, he would 
teach me something and I would practice it, practice it. And then he would be busy, ignore me, you know, but then at some point I think he decided, all right, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to actually teach this person. Um, and then, then he really, he did teach me with a lot of sincerity and I mean, it, he, he taught me so much during those first months. Just he would sit with me for hours and I would write everything down. And I would really take it to heart when he would say certain things like that he's only going to show me this movement once or twice. And then after that, if I didn't catch it, it's too bad for me. Same thing with any internal spiritual teachings he would tell me that traditionally these things were passed down orally and he wasn't even allowed to take notes and write them down. So, so a lot of times we'd be sitting there just in, you know, the off hours of the day informally, just him and I, because at that point other people had left my friend, my British friend Shifeng had left and it was just me, um, the young boy, the Chinese disciple, Junggu and Li Shifu and a couple people from the village at the foot of the mountain. And so we would just be sitting talking and he would be teaching me something. Let's say, let's say an internal teaching about meditation, or let's say even a mantra in which I needed to memorize. I wasn't always allowed to write something down. Like I, and maybe I didn't even have, maybe I wasn't ready. Maybe I didn't have a notebook at the time. And he just starts to, to, you know, transmit something really important so what i would have to do is remember it and then i would go and i would write it down after like later in my room so that i didn't forget and i think all those efforts you know at some point um are seen and then a master feels like you're worth their time and worth their effort worth their them expending the energy to even just talk to you because you know one thing that is hard for a teacher is when they say something really important and it just goes in one ear and out the other for the student and it's it's kind of like wasting your breath um as a teacher you know and so so at some point after having taught for so many years a master is just kind of there's nothing left that they care to prove it's it's really they only have time for people who are ready to absorb the teachings and and put that that time in. So, so yeah, I think I, I did have to in a very traditional way uh, convince him or win him over as a as a shifu. Uh, but I think also in a really traditional way, like your a master disciple relationship is much like a family relationship. So, um, it's much like becoming a family and that just happened naturally where the temple is really my family and Shurfu is my family and uh you know all my martial brothers and sisters there's there's a genuine feeling of family there that happens inside of that martial culture beautiful so i guess it really just comes down to the level that you're embodying what you're taking in and with the 
family aspect. It's him seeing you for who you are and what you're able to take in and being able to offer you more because you're able to retain and practice and embody. And then it's like, you can take more and more. <clears throat> so I guess each family member or student is probably getting different things depending on how much they're able to embody and everyone embodies in really different ways. Exactly. Uh, there's a saying in Taoism, which is which means if, if, if not asked, then don't say. And that's a method of teaching that ensures for the teacher that the student is ready to hear what you're about to tell them because they've gotten to the point where they formulated a question about it and they've come to you and asked. So they're ready to hear it. It's not going to go in one ear and out the other at that point because they've, they've asked the question. So I think a lot of it too was that I had questions that were expressing where I was at with the with the practice internally, they they were landmarks, they were feedback information for him as to where I was at. Yeah. Uh, so I think through asking the right questions, I learned a lot as well. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, I definitely appreciate all the hard work that you've put in so that you're now able to share some of that with us in the teachings that you're sharing with us. You know, I was going to say, too, because you mentioned that each person, each student must therefore have a different experience or skill set based on who they are. And that, that's really true because of what I was just saying about the question asking thing, because each person is going to be coming from a different place and ready to absorb different teachings. And so he does very much teach, you know, the individual um, when given the chance. And so many of my brothers and sisters, we do carry different parts of the lineage based on our innate, you know, talents or the different things that drive us as individuals. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's a nice way to spread the seeds in a really healthy way. <laughs> now that you're away from the temple and you've become a mother and you're doing the spiritual practice and you're also a teacher, how do you empower yourself to remain in your practices and your deep connection to the spiritual path while being in the everyday world and not in the temple and you have routines or like specific practices that you do every day that tune you in or do you trust that that it you have to be in the flow of life and that that those teachings and those principles and those practices are embodied deeply within you so that it comes through in your daily life in an interaction with your daughter or uh, at the, the store getting your groceries or, or, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, so I think it's all the things that you just named and it's a combination of all of those things. I think to organize it though it's good to talk about the xing and the ming which is a taoist uh twofold path one of which is about cultivating your human character 
And the other one is cultivating what is translated as, you know, Ming, which is like life destiny, which is always a difficult translation, I think, because it doesn't conjure for me anyway, what, what it's actually referring to. But essentially, the Xing is the cultivation of human character. And the Ming is the cultivation of the Jing Qi and the Shun, which is these it's these materials within the body it is the the actual alchemical transformation that's going to happen and they're they have to be hand in hand and side by side and they cannot be separated there's a saying that the ming doesn't take very long and anyone can do it it's just a formulaic method that you follow step by step not everyone has the chance to know what that step by step method is but anyone is capable of it it's the cultivation of human character or the shing that takes a lifetime to to cultivate to transform and it's the it's almost like the gatekeeper of the alchemical process because only through refining yourself and your character will the ground be fertile for the seeds of alchemy or the elixir so most of what i'm doing in life right now is just toiling through the grinding of the needle is another way to refer to it uh, or that cultivating of human character. So because that's just going to depend on life experiences that you move through. And so that's the day in and day out actions that you take, refining of thoughts, resolving the past in a way, um, whether you want to call that like ancestral karma or whatever you want to call it. Um, and so that is really what I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis. And as far as cultivating alchemy, the easiest way to put that right now is that one has to meditate every day just in general, whether we're talking about just having balance or wellness in our daily life, or as you were saying, to maintain a connection or ability to tune into those higher dimension communications, um, or even just allowing the body to have time to restore and maintain a fullness of chi through that practicing of emptiness or stillness, which is meditation. Um, but I think what people often don't understand about alchemy is that that the final stages of alchemy, well, how do I put this? The alchemy is defined by those final stages. Whereas I think people, think of that as like the lifelong journey. Um, whereas the lifelong journey is really that day in day out 
cultivating character and the transformation or sublimation is um like a stage that you go into when you're completely ready to give everything else up Mm -hmm. uh and we can kind of spend a lifetime of like rehearsing that i guess or exploring that map uh but is it more than that i i don't know um in the current moment of of daily practitioners because so then there's also like the legends of people who who are ready to do that actual stage where they're going to transform they're going to sublimate the materials inside of their body and so they go into um retreat they go into a cave or a hut or whatever it is that they're doing and they they get close and then they get like slammed back into society to go like grind the needle basically i mean that's pretty much what every legend talks about so if you prematurely enter into that stage thinking that you're ready but you're not you're gonna get slammed back down whether that's like via lightning bolt or (laughs) or whatever it is or like the embassy knocking on your cave door and saying that you have to leave the country or whatever so there's there's lots of different stories and um that almost seems to happen even in the human character development department (laughs) like (laughs) when you're when you think you've evolved certain aspects of your character, you're, you're met with certain challenges to really mm-hmm. test you on that and mm-hmm. really be like, okay, let's strengthen that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> um, oh, so sorry, just to kind of finish that thought, to talk about one more thing, which is just daily physical practice for the movement arts because everything takes upkeep you know you have to stay in good shape and you have to constantly be pushing yourself to improve so what I do for myself in that department is through teaching these Chunyang sect arts and the things that I teach I am constantly diving deeper into those areas and training them. Uh, And then for my own personal practice, I, if I feel like I'm maintaining all those other things well, I like to explore other martial arts for myself personally, so that I can keep it fresh. Um, So I do a lot of cross training and uh, I pursue things that you know, make me feel excited that are new to me. And I try to, uh, yeah, just get, get my physical activity by doing that. Do you have something you're super into right now in terms of that? Like, um, so yeah, well, there's a couple, there's a couple things I'd say that actively right now, I'm taking a dance class online and I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, and then I am. What kind of dance? Oh, so it's, um, I guess it's kind of like urban street dance, like, um, 
We were just learning like popping, locking, hitting, tutting. Yeah, kind of like that, but not like down on the ground necessarily. Um, And it's a lot of um, pushing to go into like a free form, um, you know, dancing free form, um, but using the the new vocabulary that that we're learning. And this particular teacher is exciting to me because he integrates martial movement into his dance. So I get to integrate some of the vocabulary that I'm already really familiar with, but in a new free form type of way. Um, You know, and then just pursuing the, the Muay Thai from, from going to Thailand and writing the book that I think we're going to talk about later. But so, so the whole Muay Sangha system that crew Pedro teaches is part of my pursuits right now. Um, <clears throat> jiu-jitsu was a pursuit in, up until the lockdown happened. And then I haven't really been able to get back into that since, you know, since the pandemic, but, um, those are all still goals of mine. Um, yeah, that's, those are the things that are kind of highlighted for me right now. And you're, you're also like, I guess, since you were pretty young, involved in the primitive skills and the um, tracking and everything like that. Do you want to, like, how, um, how did you get into it? And how have you found that to be in alignment with your Taoist trainings and studies and yeah so so that's something that I spend time doing daily as well as far as like what are my like personal practices um I always try to fit in something that has to do with the primitive skills or self-reliance uh so recently I've been uh shooting archery every day which we learned uh when you were in California at the program um so I've been uh shooting uh my bow every day trying to get that muscle group really uh well conditioned um i would say that the earth skills or sometimes called primitive skills this is similar to the taoist path and the martial path for several reasons one is because it is going back into the ancient times and the ways that our ancestors were connected to the earth, connected to life, the seasons, nature, the cosmos, through through doing these hands-on crafts that contribute to your survival. Um, and so, so there's a similarity there in the looking towards the past because the the Taoist martial arts really is I would say a traditional or an old style of antiquity almost it's not really um fully fitting into like a modern you know like mixed martial arts like jujitsu those things are really fresh and feeling modern right now and the Taoist arts are very much like returning to the past uh 
And so the primitive skills are inevitably like that too. Uh, I think that I am really drawn to them because of this pursuit of self-reliance. And if you are interested in being a Taoist alchemical practitioner, often that meant becoming a hermit and spending a lot of time alone in a remote mountain location. So if you're going to do that right away as a modern human, you're going to need to know a little bit about self-reliance, survival, living in nature. You just are. You're just going to need to know some of that. Um, <clears throat> so I think it's that drive to push into that space of aloneness and self-reliance and um, isolation that that pushes me to continue to learn the primitive skills. Um, and it's the connection that that gives you. It, it, it helps you feel connected to nature and the earth. And, and that's something that we innately need as humans, I think, to be involved and connected to the world that sustains us. And, you know, and we're, we're kind of in this false state all the time where, where our survival is based on societal um, reliance, but that's a very precarious thing to be reliant on. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas if you train yourself to be reliant on what, is truly going to sustain a human to stay alive, um, which is these primitive skills, you know, um, then, then you're not feeling like you're standing on this precarious um, stilt of society where if it just, it could go away in a minute. And I think a lot of people really felt that when, you know, the, the grocery stores weren't as accessible there for a minute, you know, um, and, and there's, you know, little small crises that like come up where gas is like not available for just a quick minute. And that's real scary. And then, um, you know, for example, in California, there, there was, um, you know, during fire season, basically they do these power shutdowns and then you're like, okay, so now the power is not available for a minute. What do I do now? And I think if you are the type of person, again, who, who strives just to be complete and just strives towards um, excellence in all areas, uh, then th those are moments where you're like, all right, this isn't going to cut it. This is not good enough for me. I need to be able to not be reliant on this and I need to be reliant on myself. So that's kind of why they're so integrated for me yeah yeah it makes a lot of sense like definitely you can go out into the wilderness and and not know anything and feel really afraid and disconnected because you're so used to being plugged into the falsehood of society and as you start to like i found this as i start to learn to forage a bit to um camp away from campsites like fully into nature and find your food and find your firewood and we learned with you how to um 
do the bow and drill choir, mm-hmm. right? At mm-hmm. the camp. <laughs> I haven't quite done that yet out camping by myself because it takes a lot of strength and effort. But, yeah. Yeah. But just having the, the experience of like, oh, this is possible. Um, and just like learning all those things little bit by little bit, you start feeling more and more integrated and connected, like you were saying, into reality, into what is actually real and there and abundant and available for us if we know how to create a relationship with it and be a part of it um, instead of separate. But yeah, that's, thank you. You worded that all really beautifully. I think that as we move forward right now into what is you know I think before before the pandemic hit and before the lockdown and before all this new online stuff we were already feeling like highly addicted to devices and then it just got blown through the roof even further than than we were expecting where we're even more reliant more addicted to the virtual world and looking at devices so it's it's kind of a strange thing as we kind of keep zooming into that that virtual space the there's a greater and greater need to to kind of head in the other direction too of making sure that we are getting enough nature time for sure how do you see um I don't know, sometimes I see it as the world's being split into paths and one is like that deep understanding of nature and then you've got a lot of people who just completely want to like become robots and dive into that. And um, do you see anything where, where the growth of the digital computer cyber thing can be in alignment with deeply connecting with nature like just maybe an aspect of cultivating human character um, on a deeper level come into play in order for that cyber thing like that cyber element that society is trying to move towards can actually move into a deeper alignment with nature rather than completely separating with it I don't know like it's it's such yeah. a crazy thing to look at as separating, but is there a possibility where one can actually, uh, like, where it can be in alignment and we can actually evolve? I do think that's possible. I, I think that's possible because, you know, I was going to say along that same line of people who pursue mastery in all skills. Uh, which we would actually in the kind of like Tom Brown lineage of the tracker school where I learned most of the earth skills, uh, we would call it the way of the scout. And so the scout was always known, and this is very similar to the way of the warrior in like a East, you know, Eastern, like Asian sort of archetype um the scout wasn't really the warrior of the tribe but the scout was the eyes and the ears and was trained as a warrior but would always choose um 
you know, only war and violence as a last resort. But the, so the, the way of the scout is really this mastery in all skills. So the scout wouldn't leave anything out, which would mean therefore that they would not leave out what's happening in society right now, which is that we have to adapt into what's happening, which happens to be this whole new online world. So the scout has to have mastery in all areas. And so that's exactly what you're saying. They, they almost have to coexist from that state of mind. You have to keep them in balance. It's definitely not the easier answer. And it's not like the go-to black and white thing that we, we try to do or we have a tendency to do being like, well, I can't deal with this, all this virtual world. I'm just going to go out into nature and never come back. <laughs> you know, it's like the real black and white. And the answer really is always more so in the middle way and more so in balance, but it's harder for us to always kind of merge those two things. It's actually hard for us to find balance between the black and the white. But th I think that is the key. I think that is the answer to find a way that they can coexist and keep it all in balance. Yeah, cool. That's, thank you. Um, I like that answer in some really resonant. Um, so in your trainings and how you teach, I find um, in your presence and everything, I, it feels super grounding in everything that we're learning in um, the different classes from Qigong to sword training to the Tai Chi. Um, it all has that feeling and very practical and earthly, but at the same time, there's also the spiritual element um, and communication with the celestial realms and placing ourselves as beings in a greater space from the, from the stars to the earth and the air around us and the elements, giving us a much bigger space to exist in connection with. The way you teach it, it just feels as practical as like tying your shoelaces so you don't trip over them. Whereas often when teachings try to bring in more spiritual elements, it can seem more ungrounded and not very practical, but how you, how you do it. And it, I guess this is what Taoism is about and what's attracted to me to Taoism, to your teachings. Can you maybe speak to that a little bit? Like, how the merging of those two can feel so grounded and yeah so I think I think it comes back to authenticity and and the way of the warrior the path of the warrior because what do I mean by that I mean that my entire experience with spiritual arts has been as you say grounded through movement and through physical uh practices that use the body and so that's one thing you kind of you can't really fake it you either so i mean because as soon as someone sees your movement art they're gonna be able to see what is you know what is happening there what's the background um what's the skill level and i think that when someone has spent 
all of that time and energy really putting in the work to be authentic as a movement artist and especially a martial artist because martial arts is similar to the spiritual path in that it it tests you on all levels you're constantly under a pressure test in the martial arts and that's what shapes you and so from that place of of being a martial artist, I think that people find a lot of grounded authenticity. So when the spiritual teachings come through someone who has that authenticity, it's going to feel grounded. It's going to feel embodied. I've also, just my personal path, been around the cycle, I think a couple times now, of um, sort of spiritual... Uh, discipline as far as um, being really, you know, 100% all in, blind faith, dogma, all of that, and then also been disenchanted and like hit rock bottom and started over again you know and so I've been like cycling through that multiple times and I think that weatheredness in spirituality probably adds to that grounded feeling um and because you know if I was still teaching from a place where I once was at a certain point in my life where I was even though in my mind, I wasn't dogmatic and I was avoiding dogma. I was still actually coming from a place of organized religion, um, precepts, dogmas, you know, rules and, you know, um, the burden really of that or that, that kind of suffering mentality. And then I've also transitioned out of that and, It's just continuing to try to take off the blinders, take off all the filters, like filter by filter. You just keep taking them off until you can see reality without filter. And I have a long way to go, I'm sure. Um, But I think, you know, what I have been through so far is probably what's coming through. Um, I think that Taoism does lend itself to that because Taoism is pretty unique as far as a spiritual practice that is also an organized religion um and in in some ways you can think of it also just as an esoteric science or just a a philosophy on life so i think it's pretty unique as a as a religion as far as that goes to have all of those facets part of it i guess like um I guess all the dogma stuff is kind of like when you go to school or when you're training in a martial art or training in any of the the, the movement arts. It's like initially you have to learn the technical so that you can just embody the shape of what it is and then you can release all that and have your own flow within that that allows you to see that clarity or that reality because you don't need those training wheels mm-hmm. on anymore to keep you kind of like focused on on whatever <laughs> it is yeah. you're trying to embody 
definitely. Um, so in January, I think it was, you headed to Thailand to go and interview Pedro Saloma. Yeah, um, who is like a Muay Thai master um, mm -hmm. to write a book about him. Mm -hmm. And you ended up writing this book and training. And um, do you want me to tell me a bit about him and your experience um, training with him and where you met and, and uh, what it was like to kind of be training, but also having to be focused enough to write a book and mm -hmm. get all the interviewing or talking with him in yeah. during that time. Uh, so to start from the beginning, uh, Pedro, I first met Crew Pedro uh, at the Five Immortals Temple, which is an interesting story because so it was 2010 and we were running one of the first courses that was ever to occur at the temple. And I got an email from someone who, who said that he had heard of the temple and that he had had a dream of a master on a white horse. And he felt that he was meant to journey to meet this master. And he believes that it's Lishifu. And so I was like, okay, cool. Well, you know, like, you're welcome to come visit. We'll meet you at the train station um, or wherever it was. I, I can't remember where we met up with him at the time. But anyhow, that's, that's how I met Pedro. Turns out he, you know, is a well-seasoned martial artist at that point. He had already spent most of his life um, competing, fighting, um, finishing his fighting career, becoming a teacher, landed in um, Chiang Mai in Thailand and had his school there, but was still searching for certain spiritual aspects that he wanted to learn from Shurfu. And so that's how we all met him. And that's how uh, my publisher of the Purple Cloud Publishing, um, Johan Hausen, met him at that time too, because he's a student of Lee Shifu at the Five Immortals Temple as well. And so then, actually my, my very first publisher, Alex Cosma, Line of Intent, he did a book called Warrior Guards the Mountain that me and Lee Shifu and also Pedro we all happened to be featured or interviewed for that, that book, Warrior Guards the Mountain. So that was another thing that had tied me and Crew Pedro together um, martially already as kind of like kin or, you know, like family, martial family. And then years later, everyone at the temple hears of crew Pedro school in Thailand and a lot of the students of the temple will go and train in Thailand almost like a sister school so it's all you know part of the family and then this publishing company also part of the family asked me to write this book sent me to Thailand to go train and that's how that all came about so I was really excited to go and learn Muay Thai from Pedro and <clears throat> interview him at the same time. It, I think that my experience there was really powerful. I find a lot of similarities between 
myself and Pedro, even though we're, we're also really different, but I, I can really learn from being a student of his because it in some ways allows me to see myself um, from the outside because I find my path to be similar to his. Again, although I don't have, it, it's also very different, you know, my path and his, but, but similar in that it is the path, genuinely the path of a spiritual warrior. And that's the title of the book. Um, and uh, it's nice for me too, since most of the time I'm in a teacher role, I, I love to put myself in a student role um, because the, you know, you never stop learning. And I think that Pedro for me helped heal, helped me heal from several things that I was personally going through, um, at the time, just by way of him being a person of power, a person who has mastered many arts, a person who carries themselves with authenticity and mastery in many areas, whether it's spiritual or martial. And so just by being in his school, being in that setting, uh, doing the meditations, doing the movement codes, which I want to talk about in a second, um, activated for me a deep healing process that I didn't even know I needed at the time. And so that was one aspect of going to Thailand for me. Um, interviewing him for the book and writing the book was really fun, really fun process. Cause it was a very like fast paced thing too, where it was like from the outset, there was a deadline and I was basically committed to writing this book in three months. Yeah. And, and then when, yeah, it just became like the journey was live happening. Like the book was like being told through our journey that was happening in this trip to Thailand. And, uh, you know, crazy things happen that one could have never predicted or expected, which, you know, for, for example, we found this cave in the mountain completely by chance. And we were able to have this deep you know, experience meditation, healing um, at that place of power. Yeah, all kinds of things that I didn't expect to happen, such as being introduced to a completely different um, lineage of ancestors, for lack of a better word. One could maybe say deities, um, basically of a Hindu origin that I wasn't expecting when going to Thailand to learn from Pedro. I wasn't expecting to be introduced to that. Um, yeah, you know, and so I think that some of Pedro's main teachings that he wanted to have conveyed in the book that became deep themes of the book and of his message to humanity, one of the ones that's really exciting to me is this concept of martial codes, movement codes, being embedded, basically a, uh, a system of knowledge and information that's embedded inside of the movement forms that then transforms the practitioner's mind and body cells DNA and prepares them 
as we move through time, prepares a practitioner to continue to evolve through time. And that really was an important um, revelation or thing to put into words, I think, um, that that is something that just really inspires me. It's, it's a re-inspiration of why it's so important to learn these martial codes and movement codes and why they are so effective in helping us along our spiritual path. So when you're talking about that, I'm, I'm making an assumption here. I don't know. But when, like everything I learned from you, I feel like it carries those codes. Is mm -hmm. that what you mean? Like, that's yeah. what I feel like I'm doing those mo movements for is because it's helping me to resonate with something on a spiritual level when it can get past the point of learning the technical and be resting in the embodiment of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Cool. So yeah, it's really nice to hear that kind of put into words and the languaging that um, he and you were using or he was transmitting with you. Yeah. I mean, you're basically downloading a system of knowledge into your body. Yeah. And there's not a whole bunch of arts that aren't physical that can do that. I mean, to download something into your body, there has to be a level of phys physicality, physical component where you're, you know, doing the movements yeah like even with the bagua and walking in the in the patterns it's like you're downloading infinity understanding of the infinite into yourself right yep. or yeah cool i look forward to uh reading that book it's coming out soon you're in the final processes of it yeah, I'm really excited. It should be ready to purchase uh, within a few weeks. Uh, we just, yeah, we're just finalizing a couple formatting things, and that's, that's about it. Then it's going to be ready to go. Awesome. Um, I want to jump back a little bit because there was this other question that I wanted to ask that um, I didn't ask um, kind of about Lee Shifu's lineage and his teacher who was um transmitting teachings from the chung yang sect um but there was like these three particular treasures that he was holding on to until he found the right student to who would be able to carry the depth of the the wisdom or the teachings um are you able to talk about what those three things were and um and whether or not uh, Lee Shifu has passed those on to anyone else or yourself or yeah so those three things are Jia Fa Zhou which is essentially talisman mantra and hand seal so that's incantations using the mouth uh, hand formations called hand seals using the hands and fingers and then talisman drawing, which is drawing symbols that, that have um, power. Uh, so, so those are the three treasures of the Chunyang sect in a way. Um, you can draw other 
Trinity parallels there and perhaps argue that the three treasures are something else. But what, you know, usually when we're referring to it, it, it we're referring to Jue Fajo. Does Li Shifu teach that? Uh, I, I would say that Mantra and Hansil, yes, he teaches. And yes, he teaches talisman, but not much. Uh, and whether or not that is practiced to its fullest by a student, by the practitioner, if they learn it from Li Shifu, depends on the practitioner. And I imagine that some have gone through the process and some have not. And especially with the talisman art, it has very strict precepts involved um, in order to really, you know, get past the gatekeeper and enter into that practice. You know, you, you, you can't, you can't do a lot of things if you're going to really enter into the talisman art practices according to this tradition. So it's, you know, we live in a time period where so much knowledge is being shared widely. It almost doesn't even make sense anymore to continue with this tradition of secrecy that is very present in Chinese Taoist Kung Fu, where these these lineages were really passed on to just only one person traditionally and through oral transmission and it's just a very strict secretive thing but it doesn't it almost doesn't even make sense anymore because we're just in this era where everything's so accessible and so openly shared and so global and i often wonder about this you know and it's it's just a mystery to me still especially with you know that last thing of the talisman art maybe still being preserved maybe still being secret you know what about what about that and it's almost it's almost good you know but it also means that not as many people can benefit from it but sometimes less is more <laughs> Yeah, because maybe the wrong energies mixed into it just will kind of have an effect that it's not meant to have, or maybe yeah, you know, more powerful in hands of someone who's cultivated the ability to hold that that vibration of whatever the talisman is sending out. Yeah, because in general, there's certainly a watering down that inevitably happens with um, widespread dissemination of teachings. But it's just kind of nature. It's just kind of what's happening right now. Um, I'm reminded in this moment of when even just taking a picture of a sacred object was contributing to taking its energy or watering it down, like taking away its power basically, because you then have a duplicate, um, okay. like a fake duplicate of the real object. And, you know, I remember a time too, when shamans or masters or medicine people, they, they were like, do not take my picture because then that creates 
a false clone of me basically and uh it's just interesting to kind of hold that up to our current times and like a holograph or something it's creating so someone can take that holograph and distort it in some way but yeah how do we do that now it's all disintegrated or like exploded or yeah and then you know and then you could go a different way thinking about it with that you can you can use that that duplicate self to for example teach teach people um so again it's it's just kind of like the, there's a certain amount of adaptability that we have we can't just resist 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 um the forward movement yeah, um, yeah i guess it comes in strong again with the the cultivating like the human character in order to whatever is coming out that that or the forward movement is in one that is in alignment with um nature and that's especially for um people who are kind of at your level of uh, who have gone through these trainings that were um, very personalized and stepping into a world where we almost aren't at time well at times we're not allowed to be in person and how else can people teach but um, moving into that um, can so I met you because I was actually looking for a long time at five immortals temple it was really fascinated it was always like what day i'm gonna go there and then someone in my chinese medicine school was talking about you and i found out you were in california and when i looked you up um you were doing these training camps and um i joined one for a month learning all kinds of amazing aspects of Taoism and healing arts um, and primitive skills were in there too in the archery that was really amazing <laughs> doing archery on the bows that you made now I know you were just getting ready to kind of amp up that element you had gotten a year you were like making a more um, uh, maybe not permanent but more like established space for those outdoor mountainside training camps to happen and then we all kind of got put in lockdown and you've had to really that's what's going on with how you're sharing your teachings i've been enjoying some of your uh, online classes and feel really grateful that especially me being here in Canada and you in California that I'm able to access those teachings on a little bit more regular basis and and start diving into them a little more what does it look like for you like do you, what do you do you have plans of how that's shifting for how you're going to be sharing with people and if people do want to ask you to be their their teacher their guide through through this all um and this beautiful teachings and lineages that you're carrying how how can we go about it and what are you building going forward 
Yeah. So, you know, interesting story that I'm sure many people have experienced in their own life and business and pursuits as well is just, yeah, it kind of, the lockdown came slamming down like right as I, yeah, was ramping up to, to actually expand upon what I was already doing. Um, and so I had, yeah, just built this yurt, um, fundraised for it, gotten support from a bunch of people, was planning on doing a whole two years at that location, running these wilderness camps in person, um, small groups of people coming out to do intensive martial arts trainings where they are also camping in the mountains and, you know, living out of a cooler and like a dry food bin and um, not having access to internet, you know, that whole experience was about to go down and then did not. <laughs> um, so I completely stopped running in-person courses and shifted everything online. Uh, I, again, I think it comes back to adaptability and just being quick to adapt and to run in-person camps takes a lot more organization and planning than I feel secure to do right now with every being, everything being so up in the air. And um, most of my student populace would be coming in from out of state, needing to fly in, that kind of a thing. So for all those reasons, I, I just can't move forward with the in-person camps at this time. And I'm essentially just maintaining that space until things clear up, until things feel more settled or more secure. Um, and until then, I'm running these online courses and have just fully adapted into that. And um, I'm just trying to focus on the positive aspects of that, which there's a lot of positive aspects of that. Um, <clears throat> so we've been doing these online training camps. Um, I like to call them camps just to kind of still give it that feeling of an intensive learning process, but you're actually just camped out by yourself at your house um, or wherever you are. Um, but you're immersed in it is the idea for, you know, whatever it is, those seven days. And I think the most beautiful part of the online courses is that it immediately is more accessible to more people across the world and they can start to bring this lifestyle, um, this way of life into their daily setting uh, versus with the, the in-person camps I was running, it's more of a situation where you are taking yourself away from your day-to-day -day life and going into, you know, this other experience. And then you have the hardship then to take that experience back into your life and integrate it. So the beautiful thing about these online courses is that you're inevitably integrating it into your daily life because you're you're remaining in your daily life when you take it, the course. So that's, I think, the best part of it is since we can no longer gather communally for this experience, we can still seek it out, you know, in our own, by ourselves or whatever it is, um, going out into nature and practicing these skills that you learn through an online class or whatever, or learn the movement codes and the movement forms in the online class, and then live that life of self training, self discipline on your own outside of the outside of the setting of the online class and creating a schedule 
I think people have a lot more time um, now. Some people do anyway uh, to do such a thing as cultivate um, and spend more hours of the day meditating or going outside and training. And so that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful thing. Um, although I do still value and hold on to the idea that we can do that in a community setting because that's the one thing really in a way that the online thing it's you just can't get that in-person communal being with other people in that experience you know for all of the hours of the day you can't quite get that as much from the online yeah um so if people wanted to take any of these courses What's your website? Oh, yeah. So website is wudongwhitehorseonline.com for all of my online classes. Um, My old website is wudongwhitehorse.com. And I haven't really updated that for a while because I kind of just want to keep it as a, like an example of what was going on before the lockdown. So, you know, you can kind of go to that one and get a sense of like, what were the courses that were supposed to happen and what were the logistics involved in that? All of that's still up on my old website. Um, if, if people are interested in looking at that. Um, and then um, you can follow me on Instagram or Facebook. It's just, if you search my name, you'll find my accounts and I usually update um, upcoming classes on there on the website you can sign up for uh, the email list so that you can get email reminders of classes coming up and um, also on Facebook you can follow Purple Cloud Publishing uh, to get updates on the upcoming book and then probably if you follow me on social media too you'll inevitably see some updates of when that's going to be ready uh, to buy. Amazing yeah you you wrote a first like autobiography book, The Valley Spirit, about your experience of going to China and beautiful writing. <clears throat> I'm just wondering if you're going to um, thinking of writing a a book, another book for yourself, like about your more autobiographical <clears throat> about what's going on with you or where you're going with things. Yeah. Um... I think probably one day that will happen, but it's, you know, books, they, they're kind of like born through you really. And, and that one is just not being born yet. So we're just waiting, waiting for that. But I will say that I, I very much enjoyed writing my second book about someone else's life path. Um, that, that felt really nice, you know, um, to to focus on someone other than myself. I think that was like a, a big issue that I had with my autobiography is just like, you know, by the end of it, you're just kind of like, all right, like, let's just not talk about my own <laughs> story anymore, you know? Like, and it's possible that one was maybe even enough. Like, I may never write a book about myself again. That's a possibility too. Yeah. Maybe someone else will write it about you. <laughs> um, okay. Is there is there anything else that you would like to add or share? Um, we covered a lot of things. <laughs> I know. Oh, you. There was like you. You also do like 
um, you take your martial sequences and actually apply them into like film and animation sequences. Do you have um, any interesting projects going on with that right now? You know, um, there haven't been any um, studio gigs that they've called me into since the pandemic. So I don't know what that company is doing as far as um, if, you know, as far as how their policies have changed or, or, or what, but um, I was doing motion capture over the past two years and I would get called in to do different gigs and I loved it. I just was so into it and I would love to keep doing it. We'll see, you know, just we'll, we'll see where things go. But uh, yeah, so I was doing motion capture for video games and often the characters that they would ask me to do motion capture for were um, just really cool like martial characters because I was mostly doing stunt work for the motion capture. And uh, one gig, I got to actually do my own fight choreography and then put on the motion capture suit and, and do the, the choreography, you know, on, on camera. And it's just really fun. Um, I hope that more gigs come up for that. I can't say a ton more because a lot of it too is like confidential. They don't, they don't let you talk about the details of the video games and, and the, the characters and the things that you've done. So, um, and then, and then you never really find out about what they do with it either because they don't notify the, the artists or the stunt doubles until, until the game is um, right. you know, circulating or whatever. So and a lot, a lot of the time it's just really pre-production um, stuff with the motion capture. So it takes years before anything comes of it. Um, but yeah, it sounds really cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was really enjoying that at the time. Hopefully that will start back up at some point. Yeah, it's kind of fun to take something that your body knows really well and just play with it and, and do something outside of the scope of what you normally do. Exactly, yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, is there anything else that... No, I think I think we touched upon a lot of, of things and I really uh, enjoyed all, all the places our dialogue has been. And yeah, just thank you for having me on your podcast yeah my pleasure thank you so much for joining me and um i'm looking forward to our next training thank you so much and um yeah have a beautiful day and i yeah i'm just gonna keep training with you <laughs> great <laughs> yeah um i'll see you soon then sonia okay take care you too bye bye, -bye.